Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is continuing our study about the life of David. And specifically, he's looking at David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 17, verse 57 through chapter 18, verse 5. As we talk about biblical friendship and how powerful it was between these two men. If you're looking for a place to worship with others, to connect, and to learn God's word and to serve, we would love the opportunity to meet face-to-face. So come join us at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We'd love to have you worship with us this Sunday. We meet at 1030 on Sunday mornings. We do have a Bible study time before that that begins at 930 that's age graded. And again, we would just love the opportunity to meet face-to-face. Now, if you have any questions, you can visit our website, calvaryfayetteville.com. You can email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. Well, let's listen as Pastor Kirk shares about friendship, specifically that of David and Jonathan. All right, our text is in 1 Samuel chapter 18. But I actually want to begin today by getting your minds to engaging and thinking just a little bit. I want to talk to you on the subject of Stand By Me. Of course, we're in a series on the life of David. So we're going to do a little uh, give and take here. Our category is famous duos. Famous duos. Duos. The goal is to get you thinking. We'll do it like this. I provide the first name, and you say the second name that goes with the first. Are we good? Are you ready? All right. Famous on-screen duos. It's going to be real easy, folks, but it'll get a little tougher. Batman and Bonnie and... Laurel and Butch Cassidy and Thelma and good Bert and Starsky and Gus and Gus and Call. I heard somebody say it. It might have been my grandson from South Texas right over here, for that is his name. The Lone Ranger and Frodo and Sam, Woody and Buzz Lightyear, Pinky and the Brain. Be- no, I started to say Beavis, but I scratched that one out. Famous duos in music, Simon and Sonny and Hall and Good, Brooks and Seals and some of you are as old as I am. All right, England Dan and John Ford Coley, famous duos of the Bible, Adam and Abraham and Samson and Ahab and Jezebel. We are fading on me now. Ananias and Sapphira. Paul and 
multiple choice. Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, and others. David and... Now, why did you say Goliath? They were not famous friends. David killed him last week, remember? He killed him last... It's David and... Jonathan. Okay, good. All right. Well, extra credit. One of my favorite duos of all time. Peanut butter and... Good. All right. Glad we have that out of the way. Well, everyone needs another half to their own dynamic duo. Everybody, you need another half to form a dynamic duo. Here's what the book of Ecclesiastes says about that. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe to the one who falls when he falls and does not have another to lift him up. Well, you remember last week the story of David and Goliath. It was a story of faith over fear. The key truth that we sought to work from was that truth that is a transferable truth all the way from David's day down to our day today for you and me. And that is, the future has two handles. The present, for that matter, has two handles, faith and fear. And you choose every day which one you're going to take hold of and live by. We also dispelled the false idea and the lie when people say, well, you know what the Bible says, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's just not true. We found that the exact opposite is true, that God promises to give you more than you can handle. Why? Well, we find the principle in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it is to prevent you and me from living by our own strength, living life by our own ingenuity and by our own talents. Even the apostle Paul said we despaired even to death because of the problems God sent our way. It taught reliance. David teaches us the same thing. We also dispel the false idea in the way that you often hear that story applied. And that is that you can be like David. That, uh, that God is going to cause all of your giants uh, to be killed by you. You are not the hero of the story. Our place in that story is hiding behind the rocks and the trees. Christ is the David. He is the son of David. He is the hero of the story. And if he is not the hero of your story, then a sad story it is that you're living today. Christ is center stage. Well, after examining the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, it's only natural that we follow that in chapter 18 with the story of David and Jonathan. Actually, this story is going to continue on until Jonathan's death in 1 Samuel chapter 
31. To help you remember, 1 Samuel is the story of the first king of Israel. It is King Saul and David living under his reign. Then 2 Samuel, David comes to the throne, and it's about David's story on the throne. Both reigned for approximately 40 years each. Now, the story of David and Jonathan is a story, most of all, about friendship. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We'll start, we'll tell you the story of how this friendship started today. We're going to make some personal applications and see how it played out in the following chapters in our message next Sunday, Lord willing. Before we read the text, let me share with you another verse, this one written by David's son Solomon. Perhaps, perhaps years later, he was thinking of his father David and his best friend Jonathan when he said, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man who has many companions can still come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Some of you have many, quote, friends, maybe on Facebook or some other media platform. But I want to suggest to you, are they really friends? No, they're not. They're not available to come stand beside you when you fall. They're not available to be your friend, to defend you, but they make us feel better to say, look at all of the hundreds of friends and followers that I have. May God have mercy on our sin-sick souls that we value all of that stuff so much. Those are pseudo-friends for the most part. But the second half of that verse speaks of true friendship. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is a case where the old saying of blood is thicker than water doesn't hold true. For you see, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, as David gets to the battlefield to check on his three older brothers, remember Eliab being the oldest, and remember how Eliab greeted him in chapter 17 with contempt and with ridicule. But on the same day that David lost a brother, David found a true friend, a best friend. I actually take up the reading at the end of chapter 17 and then the first five verses of chapter 18. Follow along if you would. And as soon, this is verse 57. And as soon as David returned from striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine still in his hand. I love that. I don't know why, I just, I just, I guess I'm rather macabre. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Chapter 18, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him 
as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And it was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. Three things describe this friendship, this loving friendship between Jonathan and David. Number one, get ready, this is going to be a strange statement. It was love at first sight. It was love at first sight. Now, do not mishear me this morning because there are some liberal people out there that look for every way possible to tear down, to bring disrespect on the Word of God and the truth of God. And there has been for many years this perverted idea that Jonathan and David had a love relationship even as a man and a wife would have a relationship, that it was a homosexual relationship. But understand, that's not at all what Scripture teaches us. And that's not at all what I'm saying. But I am saying to you that verse 1 tells us it was love at first sight. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. If there has ever been a true expression and a true example of soul brothers, these guys were soul. They became soul brothers in the truest sense. Jonathan and David saw some mutual characteristics in one another, and they were a band of brothers of meaning of two brothers from this day forward. I love the word that we read and we use uh, in our English Bibles where it says that their souls were knit together. That's That's a poetic way of expressing their friendship. It said, and you can imagine the threads of their lives and souls being woven together. And that is a great word picture. But understand this about the Hebrew word used here. It means something a little less poetic and something far more powerful. For the word here that is translated knit is a word that means to be chained. And what it says is this, that from that day forward, their souls, their hearts were chained together, almost as if they were prisoners together. 
almost as if they were, uh, they had been incarcerated together, as it were. They were chained together with chains that could go the distance, chains that would overcome great obstacles, chains that could not be broken. And they did, this relationship and friendship did overcome the obstacles and go the distance. Jonathan recognized in David that he was a true warrior of faith, a faith that could overcome fear. And you see, one of the reasons, maybe the greatest reason, that Jonathan was instantly so taken with this young man, Jonathan being the elder, with young David, is that Jonathan was a warrior too. He too was a warrior of faith. He too was one who had overcome fear to do the right thing with his relationship with God. We didn't read the chapter, didn't examine it, because this is a story of David. But if you were to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 14, you will read a story of Jonathan's exploits that were every bit as great as that of David and Goliath. Once again, it was the Philistines that were tormenting God's people. And the Bible tells us in that chapter that because of the servitude that the Israelites had to the Philistines, that the Philistines did not allow the Israelites to have any weapons of warfare that even their plows and their farming tools, they had to come to the Philistines to get them sharpened, to get them made ready for productive work. But swords were very rare. In fact, the Bible tells us only King Saul and only young prince uh, Jonathan had swords. And so here they were, the Philistines, 600 in number, were over that way on a hilltop, on a mountaintop, and here was Jonathan, and here was his armor bearer, and this is what Jonathan had to say. Listen to how his speech sounds a lot like David's four chapters later, three chapters later, when David is going to face the giant. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison, a garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. What a great armor bearer. Verse 12 of that chapter. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they said, now hear this as a taunting voice from 600 Philistines who were looking down at the crown prince of Israel and his armor bearer. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. I would add R2 to that. And we will show you a thing or two. Just taunting them. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Hear the words, the battle is the Lord's. 
Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about 20 men. And following the death of this one against 20 or two against 20, understand God sent confusion on that Philistine horde and they began to kill each other and they began to run away. And how similar were Jonathan's words in chapter 14 to David's in chapter 17. By referring to the Philistines as the uncircumcised, understand in both cases, they were bringing theology to the battlefield. They didn't just see them as an enemy. They didn't just see them as pagans. They didn't just see them as the people Israel should have driven out many years before. They saw them as people who were strangers to God's covenant. These were not covenant people. They were not God-chosen people. They were the enemies of God and God's people. And because of that, these men brought faith to the battlefield with them, and they brought the Lord to bear on this situation. And so later, David, or Jonathan, sees in David the same kindred spirit, true devotion, humility, a sense of duty and loyalty, all these were characteristics of Jonathan, and he recognized them also in David, and it was love at first sight. Characteristic number two of this kind of friendship and love, it was a covenant love. A covenant love. That's kind of a strange concept to you and me today. The nearest thing we have to the idea of a covenant usually has to do with either a very informal agreement or some kind of official contract. And in most cases, both seem to pretty well get neglected and overlooked in our culture, but not so in the days of the Bible. Verse 3 says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. This is the second time in just three verses we read those words, Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And as a result of that, Jonathan initiated a covenant between the two of them. Understand, that kind of covenant could only come from Jonathan. David could not initiate that covenant with someone who was in a far higher standing and place than he was. Understand, Jonathan held a place of power in this relationship in its onset, in its beginning. And Jonathan initiated a covenant between the two of them. Now, in Bible times, covenants could be a political treaty between nations. It could be a working contract between employee, between labor and management. But more importantly, 
It could be a religious covenant between God and his people. And understand, in this case, it was a covenant of friendship that lived within the same character as that godly covenant between God and his people. These are two of God's men committing themselves to this covenant. Now, what would happen is this in Old Testament days. The idea, the wording to make a covenant literally means to cut a covenant. To cut a covenant. They would take some kind of animal, in some cases something as small as a bird, a dove, or a pigeon, but in many cases a lamb or even a bull from the herd. They would take an animal and they would cut it in two. And they would separate those pieces And ideally, it would be somewhere where there would be a little slope on both sides and they would set the two halves of the animal and then each of them would walk between those pieces with the blood that was draining from that animal splashing up on their feet and on the robes of their garments signifying how serious they were in this commitment. And basically, they would be saying, if I am unfaithful to the word in this covenant, may I end up in pieces as this animal. It was taken very seriously. It was love at first sight. It was a covenant love. Number three, it was a sacrificial love. A sacrificial love. Verse 4 tells us, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. You and I need to be sure that we remember that in Bible times and in this story, clothes signify the person and the person's position. Because of the way Dave, or Jonathan was dressed, because of the weaponry that he uh, bore, even from a distance, men, his men, the Israelites, even the Philistines would recognize that he was the crown prince of Israel. So what's the significance of this action? Didn't David have clothes also? Jonathan, the crown prince, took off his princely robe and he placed it on David. He gave it to him. Not only that, but that very rare weaponry, his armor, his coat of of armor, his weapons, all of this signifying his standing, how people viewed him, he gave to this young man, late teens, maybe early 20s. One writer has said this, by surrendering these to David, Jonathan, now listen closely, Jonathan is renouncing his position as crown prince and transferring that position, that right, So far as his own will goes, he was surrendering the right 
of succession, succession to the throne, to David. Now, there's a lot about this that God didn't fill in the blanks on. David has already been anointed to be the next king. Remember? Chapter 16, Pastor Dan spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. But it was an anointing done in secret with only the household of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, looking on. Now, there were eight brothers in that family in total. Seven of them got passed over. It was the runt of the litter that God told Samuel, the last judge and a prophet and priest in Israel, this is the man, for he has a heart after me. Perhaps that came into play why Eliab, the oldest brother, who would have thought if anyone ought to be anointed, it should be me, I'm the firstborn. Perhaps that played into the why Eliab had such contempt and disrespect for David. We don't know. We don't know if Jonathan had any knowledge about this. Probably not. There's not a reason Jonathan should have known. But understand, this didn't happen in the Near East. It didn't. It was not a common thing. It did happen here. But a crown prince would never transfer his crown rights to an upcomer. He would kill the upcomer to not threaten his position. But Jonathan, a man I would suggest to you who also had a heart for God, in some prophetic way, he was, out of his generosity, he was recognizing David as the true successor to the throne. It was a sacrificial love. Jonathan does not do what is expected. He doesn't follow the expectations of the culture of the day. S.G. DeGraff said this, This deed on his part was an act of faith. An act of faith. Only faith, now listen, makes us willing to be the lesser. The lesser. Faith causes us to surrender the rights we pretend to have over against the Christ who is truly Israel's king. Saul really wasn't the king. Christ was. Christ was. And Saul had long since disobeyed Christ disobeyed his God, disobeyed the prophet Samuel to the point that he, the Bible said the same spirit that had rushed on him the day of his anointing left him. And now the spirit has rushed on David. Do you have the faith to be the lesser? Or do you claw and scratch and hang on to and grasp all that is within you to who you think you need to be, to the recognition you think you deserve, 
to the recognition that you want? Are you clawing your way to the top of the heap? Understand, that's not the way of Christ. Jonathan here is showing us what Christ has done for us by surrendering his place and taking upon himself the position of the lesser. Jesus died in our place. Well, that's what took place on that day. A friendship was born. A friendship that made all the difference in David's life. The love Jonathan had for David and David for Jonathan was a love at first sight. They saw something in each other that caused them to love one another beyond their own life. It was a covenant love that was never broken. A love that sacrificed for one another. There is power in that kind of friendship and love. We're going to see that played out next time. But on the very heels, prepare yourself, but on the very heels of this loving friendship being born, envy, hatred, and hardship is going to ensue. Not by David or Jonathan, but by Jonathan's father, the king. All hell is about to be unleashed on David. And it is the true friendship between Jonathan and David that will save the day. We'll consider that story and continue it next time. But let me close this out with another verse, also from Proverbs, also written by David's son, Solomon, very likely with thoughts on this story of his father and Jonathan's friendship. It's found in Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. Jonathan and David. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories it contains, the principles of the New Testament, the pictures of the old. And I pray, Father, that this story of David and Jonathan will teach us what it means to be a true friend, what it means to love someone, to enter into covenant relationship with them, to sacrifice for them. Father, I pray that you would help us to realize and recognize what took place in this story is exactly what took place when Jesus made himself the friend of sinners. He loved us at first sight. He made a promise to us and he sacrificially paid the price for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. 
We meet for worship at 10.30 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.